When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For those who were not born before 1962, the Beach Party movies were a series of chaste comedies in which clean-cut teen idols hung out on the beach, rode the big waves, necked a little, and tried to defend their lifestyle against the old fogies who were always trying to ban rock and roll. The financially successful teen movies were a tie between harmless and brainless. This 80s flick, which was a musical satire poking fun at those idols and the whole genre, did it with a lot of good humor and with the full cooperation of its victims. So grab some sunscreen, your extra long surfboard, and watch out for a random pajama party to break out as Chad Shepard and I discuss Back to the Beach from 1987 on this special Forgotten 80s Flick episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Now playing at a selected theater near you. Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by an 80s flick-loving guest co-host to talk about one of the great and sometimes not-so-great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing first-time watch memories, discussing our favorite iconic scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com as well. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can become a financial partner for less than $10 a month. The link to financially support the podcast is located in our episode show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. Yeah, very good, very good. Yeah, part of that came from uh, Roger Ebert's review of the movie. So yeah, I, I, I heard about that. I heard they both gave it thumbs up. Yeah, it wasn't screened for a lot of critics because mm-hmm. Paramount kind of pretty much tried to bury it. Yeah. But it said he snuck into a screening to do a review and was actually very surprised at how much he liked it. So, 
All right. Well, welcome in, everybody. So glad to have you. As we said, this is a very special Forgotten 80s Flick episode. You'll be seeing some of these episodes popping up over the next couple of months, like a bonus episode. Um, if you don't know about Forgotten 80s Flicks, it's actually a series that I started doing on TikTok that then I didn't put on Instagram, where I've gone back and thought about all these movies that I remember as a kid uh, that people don't really talk about that much today or had just and what I've seen is some people didn't know these movies even existed. Some were like, oh, my gosh, I totally forgot about this one. Or I love this movie. How can you say it's forgotten? A lot of great feedback. And so we're starting with this one, number one, because summer is almost over and we're going to hold on to summer as long as we can. So we're going to go back to the beach. But also because Chad Shepard, my co-host extraordinaire, this is one that he requested because he's one of the few people I know that have actually seen this movie. <laughs> That's right. So welcome right, in, Chad. Oh, thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah, man. Before we dig too far in, I, I do, because this is a forgotten 80s flick, I'm going to read a little bit of a summary for those that are tuning in. Like, what is this movie all about? So here's a quick recap. Okay. Back to the Beach is a 1987 comedy musical starring Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello and directed by first-time film director Lyndall Hobbs. It generated a total domestic gross of $13 million and received a two-thumbs-up rating from Siskel and Ebert. The film is an open parody of the beach party films made popular in the 1960s, especially those in which Frankie and Annette had appeared. The plot is merely the means of connecting the various sight gags, homages, and in-jokes. All character names are taken from those earlier films. The film's soundtrack included covers of several well-known beach tunes, along with new songs. So that's kind of a brief overview. Not to give you too much of the plot, because once you go, go watch it, tell me about... Back to the beach for you. When did you see it for the first time? Oh my goodness! During, of course, you know we did we did the great uh, Back to the Future episodes. Oh and, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mentioned uh, I had a, a gentleman who had recorded a lot of uh, HBO movies on mm-hmm. VHS, mm-hmm. and I don't remember what this was on. And I know I borrowed it from him. <laughs> it's funny. I sent him a message the other day and asked him if he still had any of them. He said, "Oh yeah." Oh really? Said, yeah, wow. Come, yeah. So I was like, well, I want to come and just take a look at it just to see what <laughs> mixtures you had. So he, he approved it. But I I borrowed this from him because it was uh, 87. I was eight. Oh, wow. And I, I watched this movie a lot. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I watched it a lot after <laughs> watching it again, but I think he had it. I think uh, either Channel 36 or Channel 46, one of the movie mm-hmm. channels here in Atlanta, Mm-hmm. Played a lot too, and I would watch it then. It was right when, right after it came out, so I, I know I watched it back then. Yeah, this is one that yeah. I know came on cable because I remember that's probably I'm pretty sure that's how I saw it. But I remember I had watched like anytime it was on, I found myself watching it. And I'm kind of like you; it's like going back. I'm like, yeah. I don't know what it was about the movie that appealed to me. If it was the music, because I was a big music kid, that I loved you know music stuff. Um, right. I can't really say I was that big of a Pee Wee Herman fan, which we'll talk about his cameo in a minute. <laughs> he's, um, he's, I'm actually watching it now. He's, he's on right now. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I, I, I was watching it on before we started. So Yeah, yeah. But I remember being at like a family member's mm-hmm. house in the, in the summer. Usually every summer, I would spend like two weeks or three weeks with my grandparents who lived in North Carolina. And one of my grandparents, I'm like, I'll dig too deep in my, my family history, but <laughs> one of my right. sets of grandparents... I had a bunch of cousins and other people there that I would usually hang out with them more than I'd hang out at my grandparents' house. And so I was at, mm-hmm. I was at my cousin's house 
And for some reason, I think he wasn't there. Like he was at camp or something. So it was just me and my aunt and my uncle. I remember this movie was coming on. I was like, oh, you guys want to watch this with me? And they sat down and watched it. And I remember them like, we really enjoyed it. That was really fun. And it was like, oh, I have this memory of like showing this to my aunt and uncle and them really liking it. And so, of course, they would pick up on the nostalgic parts of being a beach movie because they were probably teenagers when Frankie and uh, Annette were teenagers where I'm right. seeing it from a totally different perspective. But so how long it had been? since you'd seen it before you're watching it for this? Oh, years. Yeah. Many, oh, yeah, yeah. many years. Yeah. And, and it's, it's funny because it's like this movie is supposed to be nostalgia for the, like you said, the 60s. 60s, yeah. Beach, the 60s beach movies. Right, right. And now it's like, well, this is nostalgia for the 80s too. Because <laughs> it's so, so it's like, 80s. Oh, my gosh. Like the, oh, yes, it the, is. The, the, the costumes and the music, even though they're, I mean, they're doing old songs, but they right. had made them more contemporary, like trying to make them more 80s style. So it's funny that oh, yeah. you're, you're, you're singing, you're singing songs from the sixties in the style of the eighties, which now is nostalgic for us. So it's like nostalgic on multiple levels. Right. It's funny. You mentioned musical. I, I don't know if I consider this. Like I was, I was having that argument with my, when well, I argument, I was having that discussion, <laughs> discussion. With, yeah. with my wife and she, cause she was like, Oh, this is a musical, huh? Cause they were singing when she came in the right, room. Right. And I was like, well, I consider musical and you may have a different opinion. You and I both have <laughs> done musical theater. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, to me, a musical is more of a songs that drive the plot. That's true. These, That's these true. were just, these were just songs. These right. Were, right. Like, like we'll talk about later. Pee Wee Herman doing bird is the word and, mm-hmm. and Frankie Avalon doing California sun. And right. And whatever song Annette and Fishbone sang, I don't... The Jamaica Sky. Yeah, Jamaica Sky. <laughs> but it did. they didn't really further the plot. So I'm like, I don't consider this a music. It's more of just a comedy with singing. I mean, yeah. they're singing the comedy. So Yeah, that you, you bring a good point because I... Ca- well, of course, when I rented it, because I rented it, and I just realized today when I was yeah. doing my research that they just re-released this on Blu-ray, like not even a week or so ago. Uh, Paramount it released it a special Blu-ray edition, and I was like, man, if I knew that, I would have just went and got the Blu-ray, <laughs> bought it. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, uh, but uh, just to say that it, when I pulled it up to rent it, that was the category they had, and it was comedy musical. And so I'm right. kind of understand what you're saying. Like you're you're right, a true quote unquote musical, the songs further the plot. This one yeah. is really just you have musical segments in the movie, so. Mm-hmm. It's not really, it goes back to me and uh, Bethany did the episode on beaches and we had the quest. That was the big question is beaches a musical because oh, yeah. Midler sings so much in it. Just, there's a lot of songs that she's singing, but none of them are what you would consider a you know, musical song. It's not a character that's just breaking out in song, which they kind of do in this one. But it, like you said, right. they're not really singing anything that's telling the story. The only one mm-hmm. that is close to that is the finale song. The very last song right. they do because they're kind of recapping everything at that point, which that to me, that feel like the most musical quote unquote moment to me. And it really took me back to kind of like it has like a grease, grease two kind of feel to it where it's that together forever kind of a song. I, I think that might have been song might have been written for the movie for them. To had to like, been. Yeah, like it had that, to yeah. Been. yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time either. And this is really, truly I would say a forgotten eighties flick because it's not one that I've can say like in the last 20 years, I've 
thought of in my mind, like, oh, I really remember back to the beach, but there was something that sparked that memory in the last, you know, six months or so. And I was like, oh man, I remember that movie. I remember watching that movie so many times. It's so I was good to be reminded of it. And so then be able to find that I could watch it, be able to rent it and see it again. I was really excited about it because I was like, well, this is gonna be fun to watch. So, but yeah, I'm like you, I surely had not seen it since I watched it on HBO as a kid. And I'm not even sure if this was one that I even, I'm not sure if I recorded this one off of HBO, probably because they played it so much. I mean, I mean, of course being summer, a PG movie, they were running it probably Mm. almost every day in the summer. So I'm not sure this is one that I recorded as much as I just watched it over and over and over (laughs) and over and over and over again. And now these messages. Now playing on a cell phone near you. A show for all the manly men out there. Where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man. Featuring the coolest guests. Murder somebody is not like killing an ant. The most gratifying laughs. It's Tombstone, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) And a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before. This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. Hey, everybody. Do you ever just sit around with your friends and reminisce about the days and how things used to be when you were a kid or a teenager or maybe even a young adult? The TV shows and the movies that you watched at the time and how things just aren't quite the same today? Well, let me tell you, I've got the place for you. My name is Chris Adams, and I'm the host of the podcast Retro Life For You. And here at Retro Life For You, we talk about and discuss movies and TV that is retro, And we are going back from the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s. Hey, sometimes we might even touch back to the 70s if we're feeling good. If this is for you, make sure you look for us on everywhere that you can find your podcast at. Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Stitcher, or hosted on Anchor FM. And make sure you follow us on all the major networks and leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. Look forward to hearing from you. So let's talk a little bit about story origin and pre-production. Not a whole lot of backstory here, not a lot that we could really find on these, but here's what I found. So the film was actually the idea of Frankie Avalon and was in development for a number of years. He hired several screenwriters and shopped the screenplay around town. Paramount was attracted to the project, but did not like the script because Orion Pictures owned the rights to the original quote-unquote beach party movies Paramount wanted to make, in the words of one spokesperson, an entirely original screenplay not based on any prior beach movies, instead make it a parody of all beach movies, which I think was a very clever concept for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's what what kind of is the appeal of it to me. Writer-director James Comack shared the same agent as Frankie Avalon, and he became attached when Paramount agreed to finance the movie. He said... Uh, this is his quote. I met with Ned Tannen, Paramount's production chief, and we agreed it would be about a middle-aged marital life crisis, which through a series of happy events allows the couple to recapture their youth and renew the relationship. Eventually, they wanted a picture I couldn't deliver. They wanted to camp it up, and I felt it wasn't necessary. 
So eventually Paramount hired Lyndall Hobbs to direct. She had never made a feature film before, but had directed numerous music videos, which is probably why, you know, you got a lot of music in the movie. Various writers were hired. I thought this was fascinating. 17 different writers worked on this, this screenplay. Wow. That cost an estimated $2 million just in writer's fees. <laughs> but Funicello called it her favorite filmmaking experience since Babes in Toyland. But it was also during the making of this movie, she first started developing the symptoms of MS, which she uh, passed away mm-hmm. from. But uh, and I was like, you can definitely see her struggling in a few scenes that I totally missed as a kid. But going back and watching it, it's like you can tell. I don't know if she feels uncomfortable. She looks tired. There's a couple of like uh, in the musical scenes, especially I can tell she looks a little like, like one shot. She looks energized. Next shot. She's a little bit more, she's giving it her all, but you can tell she looks a little tired and maybe I'm just reading into it now. <laughs> Knowing that now, right. who knows? No, yeah. I agree. You know, I did. I, I haven't seen clips of, you know, her and she, she was in the Mickey Mouse club. I've seen mm-hmm. some, a couple of scenes from the beach beach movies. But this is this movie, and uh, when she, uh, Frank and her were on Full House, is what I right, remember. Right, remember the most. Yeah, and kind of, it's kind of had that. She had that same vibe in Full House as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I definitely could tell that she was sick. And I think this was like her last movie too. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't. She didn't go public with the diagnosis until I think ninety two. She was already diagnosed at this time, but they had not made it public. So she even kept it a secret during filming. She didn't want anybody to know that she had been diagnosed with it. I think it was still kind of early. So she didn't think it was, she was showing too many signs of it, but they could, but some people said they could, they could tell because I think some things I read, I didn't put totally in my notes, but they're like, there were scenes where she had trouble walking on the sand, but like still she was a lot thinner than they had remembered her, but different little mm-hmm. things that they had noticed, like, but they're like, oh, well, you know, she's getting older. That they weren't thinking of it in that context. They were just, oh, she doesn't walk on the sand as easy as other people. But it was obviously something she was kind of suffering through. Well, I have to give it to her. Walking oh, yeah. on the sand is hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And I went to the beach in May and was trying to walk in the sand. Yeah. Like, yeah. But yeah, you bring but, up a good point, though, because uh, I've never seen one of the beach movies, like not one that I can remember. Maybe I saw a clip or two of something, you know. As a kid, a rerun on like, you know, 36 or 40, you know, one of those, one of those stations in Atlanta that played old movies on a late Saturday night or something. Mm -hmm. But I didn't get the parodies as much of those things, but they had enough other gags in the movie to keep you entertained. Like you didn't have to be a fan of or have to have a lot of knowledge of those beach movies to kind of be in on the joke, which I think is what was smart about it. Oh, yeah. You know, that was good writing. I guess with 17 writers, you better have some good writing. (laughs) But I think I read somewhere, like they said, when they started, they only had like four pages of the script when they first started. So they were constantly getting new, you know, new pages every day as they were filming. So they were obviously kind of working on this one, even as they were filming. And it was a very short filming window, too, because I read an interview with the director and she was talking about how she they filmed it in Hawaii during the winter. So they were dealing with a lot of weather issues, which you can see in a couple of scenes where it's like, it's cloudy in one at one point and then completely sunny. It goes back from like cloudy and sunny a few times, but she said they did it in like, I don't think it was three weeks, but maybe like three months, but it was a really short amount of time to make the movie, but I think she did a good job. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. she didn't, she didn't really make anything else. I didn't, say, I didn't see anything after, after that. No. no, she, 
Um, she was not very happy with Paramount <laughs> because right. they pretty much buried they they gave her all this promise in the making of the movie and then like once it was done they kind of just dumped it and didn't give it a lot of promotion that she thought it deserved and then she took it personally because then it felt like she had done all this to make this movie happen and to be a woman director was already a struggle and so that didn't help her that her first big movie they didn't put any confidence behind and she felt like it cost her some you know further work because there was talks of a sequel they had talked about doing Talks of a TV show. So there was all these things like, oh, this is going to be so big and you're going to have more work after this is over. And then when they were like, uh, now we're just going to, you know, dump this in the theater without much promotion and, you know, cut our losses. You know, it's just funny you mentioned a sequel. I was like, as I watched it, a lot of it was very familiar. Mm-hmm. I remember a lot of the things that happened, but there's scenes I thought like, didn't this, didn't this happen? Like the, the villain, the main, the main guy, I think it was yeah, yeah, Zed. Yeah. Zed. Zed. Yeah, I don't remember him at all. From <laughs> right, I thought the villain was another somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I thought there was, and like all these he really things. Wasn't, like, yeah, he really wasn't much of a villain, though. I mean, really, no. He's there as a a convenient plot twist or a plot device to make sure there's a surfing scene at the end. Like he right. really wasn't a threat to them at all. The rest of the movie, just all of a sudden. We've got to defend our beach. So, which to me, once again, it, this, the movie doesn't take itself too seriously. Oh, I, I didn't, forgot to read that part, but you know, I look at, I would, I would call this movie simple. And I don't mean that in a, in a negative way. It's a simple movie. Like watching it again yesterday, because I watched it twice. When I watched it yesterday, I was like, mm-hmm. this really feels like a, for lack of a better term, and not once again, not derogatory way, but a glorified TV movie from the eighties. It oh, yeah. just, it's, it's got a little bit more of a budget. It got a little bit, you know, more edge, a little bit, but it doesn't take itself too seriously at all, which is what makes it so fun. It's like everybody's in on the joke. You can't go in like saying, Oh, you know, this needs to be serious cinema. Like we're just here to have fun. You can tell that everybody's having a blast making this movie. Probably right. Frankie Avalon and the net, the most Frankie's having the most fun of everybody. It seems like. Oh yeah. The, uh, and uh, I know we'll, might get to it later, but yeah, the scene, you know, the big, the big final scene where he's finally surfing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I put, and I put this in my notes. It's like they use the same at the beginning when Frankie's being introduced, mm-hmm. he has the, uh, it's a car salesman. So he's, they're filming him on like a, Oh like yeah. A blue, yeah. Uh, projection screen or something. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they do at the end of this movie. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Like, which I thought was going to totally, add that in my notes too. Yeah. It was hilarious. Well, the guy, when the guy goes up next to him and asks for his autograph. Yep. Yep. That like, part always I'm like, makes okay, me laugh. That's, I'm like, that's good. That's good stuff. Yeah. It doesn't go all the way into like parody mode, like Zucker Brothers, airplane, naked gun, like it, but it, it teeters with that because you have that scene at right. the beginning. When they're in the airplane and he's like, uh, your thought is Sandy. Oh, don't do it. It's like my little baby, wavy, my, my, my sugar, wig, whatever he's doing. And then everybody, and stands then everybody up and starts barfing in the bags. Like, that's yeah. that Zucker <laughs> brothers moment. And then once again, oh, yeah. that same thing with the, you can tell he's completely not skiing. He's shooting golf balls off the surfboard and the guy comes out of the water. Yeah. And that's what our guy, like that's that. Those are those Zucker brother moments that I think were, if the whole movie had been like that, it would have gotten old really fast, but you kind of place them in certain points right. just to kind of push that laugh envelope. But I think that also probably 
the various riders. You've got some riders that lean into that and some that don't. So you having the different riders probably helped to keep it a little bit more balanced than it would not have been if they didn't have that. All right, well, let's jump into yeah. casting. We'll talk a little bit okay. about the uh, the actors, at least the ones that I wanted to bring up. And if, if I miss anybody, definitely, you know, shout them out. So, of course, you got to talk about Frankie Avalon as the big kahuna. Frankie Avalon is considered one of the first manufactured teen idols. His song Venus became his first number one single in 1959, and he released six more top 40 records in that year alone. In 1962, Avalon and Annette Funicello paired their clean-cut looks to make the popular Beach Party Surfer film series. A symbol of his era, Avalon went on to appear in the 1950s theme musical Grease in 1978, playing the Teen Angel and singing the memorable Beauty School Dropout in the film. That's, I mean, that was my first introduction to Frankie Avalon was Grease. And it's funny because I didn't, I kind of forgot that was the same guy. And then when he, there's a few times that he says stuff or like a different expression, I'm like, oh yeah, that totally is, you know, Teen Angel from, from the movie version of Grease. Then you got Annette Funicello as Annette. (laughs) She gained early fame as the leading Mouseketeer on Disney's The Mickey Mouse Club. During the early 60s, American International Films wanted to use her in a fun on the beach movie. They presented the idea to, quote unquote, Mr. Disney, as Annette always called him and with whom she was still under contract. To everyone's surprise, he gave his consent with the only condition being that she make sure that her navel was completely covered in a one-piece <laughs> bathing suit. Wow. So the first movie aptly titled Beach Party in 1963 starred Robert Cunning, I'm sorry, Robert Cummings and Dorothy Malone as the older generation who explored the younger set presented by Annette, who played Dee Dee and her love interest Frankie Avalon, who was called Frankie. The quote-unquote teenage couple, because they were actually 20 and 23 at the time, proved so popular in this that they were whisked into a number of sand and surf romps. Muscle Beach Party in 64, Bikini Beach also in 64, Beach Blanket Bingo in 65, and my favorite title of all, How to Stuff a Wild Bikini in 1965. <laughs> oh. So you really got away from uh, Mr. Disney's request on that one, Yeah, I guess. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think Beach Blanket Bingo is probably the, the the most famous one, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the or one that I've, I've probably heard the name more so than the other ones. So in, in the 80s, she became a popular spokesperson for Skippy Peanut Butter, which we saw uh, frequently <laughs> in the movie, and was later diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, as we mentioned already. And uh, she died on April 8th, 2013, at the age of 70. Hmm. So sad. So sad. Oh, I do want to give a shout out to Frank Avalon. He and oh, yeah. I are have the same birthday. Oh, really? September eighteenth. Yeah. Cool. I, I saw that on the IMDb. I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> so, the the yeah. two crooners got the same birthday. That's right. <laughs> Don't make me start singing. No, I'm just nah. kidding. All right, we'll move right <laughs> along. We got Lori Laughlin <laughs> or Lachlan. Lori Laughlin is Sandy. Uh, oh, Lori. Boy. Yeah, Lori was a. I'm not going to get too. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it. We'll keep it in context. Uh, yeah, Lori was a yeah. was a junior lifeguard before becoming an actress. She began her career at 12 as a print model. During her early teens, she appeared in TV commercials and was frequently seen in national print ads. At 15, she was cast in the daytime soap opera The Edge of Night, playing aspiring dancer Jody Travis. She would go on to appear from 1980 to 1983. She's probably best known as Aunt Becky on Full House, as well as appearing in other 80s flicks, 
Secret Admirer with C. Thomas Howell in 1985, The Night Before with the then-unknown Keanu Reeves in 88, and of course the BMX bike cult classic Rad in 1985. Oh, she was in Rad, okay. Yeah, yeah, she was the love interest in Rad. And you mentioned Keanu Reeves, so I gotta go, whoa. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, then that's another uh, forgotten 80s flick, The Night Before, that uh, I think I saw that one, but I totally forgot. Somebody mentioned that in the... uh, on the TikTok videos, like you got to do a night before with Keanu Reeves. It's like Keanu Reeves was in a movie in the eighties that I don't remember. And sure enough. Uh, so definitely check that one out. So, so that was before Bill and Ted. Yeah. I think he had like Bill and Ted was filmed in 86 or 87 mm-hmm. and it got shelved until 89. Uh, so, so he probably made this one after that, but it hadn't come out yet. So he wasn't, he hadn't become like a name by that point. Right. Oh, what's the eighty-seven? I got to think about Bill and Ted because Parenthood. Well, no, I think Parenthood and, and Parenthood and Bill and Ted came out the same year in eighty-nine. I'm pretty sure. Right. I don't know. If we're wrong, somebody tell us. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't dig that deep into Keanu Reeves yet. No, I didn't. I didn't either. I can go ask my wife. She's a huge <laughs> Reeves head. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I won't. I won't, I won't call it that. That's weird. Sorry. <laughs> But uh, yeah, Lori Laughlin, yeah, I uh, big fan of her on uh, Full House. Yeah, Aunt Becky. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I won't talk about what's going on. But uh, my wife came in and we saw her, and she's like, "Like that's all? That's the girl from Full House?" I'm like, "Yeah." Mm-hmm. We we both said at the same time, she's got uh, Tiffany Amber Thiessen from Saved by the Bell hair. Oh yeah, yeah. She definitely giving like, off the, the, that, that vibe that, for sure. That that wave that she had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she, and my wife also said she 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 also reminds me of uh, Brooke Shields. I could see that. Movie. Yeah, so like, I could see that. Yeah, like that mid, just done uh, the uh, blue blue lagoon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, going into her older movie. So yeah, yeah, I could see that for sure. Yeah. So then we got Tommy Hinckley as Michael. I uh, don't have much on him. It was his first movie role. He's done some previous TV work, but just because he was a main character, I wanted to bring him up. Mm. This is one that well, I did. Go ahead. I do. I do want to say something about him, though, sure. uh, quickly. Well, not about him, but his I said his character. I said I, this is what I put in my notes. I wonder if Bill Paxton was up for the role of Michael. <laughs> yeah, is, is I could see that. Michael, he does a weird, he does a weird, a weird laugh, like mm-hmm. really inappropriate places. I thought, like he was, <laughs> they were fighting, and he walks out the door and does this weird laugh. Yeah, so I'm like, yeah. But he was very, he's he's Californian and like surfer kind of dude. But he also kind of gave me a Bill Paxton vibe. So I'm like, I wonder if they wanted him and found this this guy to do it. I don't know. Yeah, I think they were keeping the budget really low with this one. So. Probably, <laughs> so they yeah. probably had to go with because Paxton had done a couple of movies by this point. He had done Aliens, I think, by this oh, yeah. point. So he's he was kind of making his way up. True. But he was, I mean, Hinkley was yeah. okay. I was and I was surprised because when I went back and watched when we watched it yesterday, I was like, surely he's been in some other stuff. But then I couldn't find him in anything else. He he had done a lot of TV mm-hmm. stuff, but no other mm-hmm. movies, pretty much. The <laughs> next one, uh, Bobby, was played by Demian Slade. I did not realize this until a couple of weeks ago, and I, I I can't believe I didn't know this already. But he's this is this is only his second movie. He didn't make any other movies after this one. He's best known as the Paperboy from 1985's Better Off Dead. 
He is the infamous kid that says, I want my $2. Oh, my $2. That is him, isn't the it? The same kid. Wow. Which I, I thought, which now I'll never see this now movie that you the say same that, way again. Yeah. I'll never see this movie the same way again. Let it sink in, everybody. It, I did not, <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't even, I didn't even click on his name because I'm which, like, which is so funny because his whole opening thing is him playing with that switchblade comb, which is one of the main things he does in Better Off Dead. So it's like he's almost parroting himself in his own character. Yeah. Which I, I had that in my hilarious. notes as well. Yeah. I said that this kid is obsessed with that knife comb. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I put. That's what I put. Yeah. I do love at the beginning when he's like threatening the dog or the cat or whatever at the house with like he's got two. Then you have two of them, two of the switchblade combs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She takes she takes one away and he yeah. pulls out another one. Yeah. 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 Now, did you have one of those as a kid? No, it's oh. too much like a knife. My parents didn't like guns yeah. or knives. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to have one either. But we, one of my friends, I would get, I would get one from a friend at school. Of course, they, had, of course, they would take the the comb out, and then it would just be like this pointed edge thing that didn't. I mean, we didn't put a blade in it, but we just thought it was so cool that it opened up. But yeah, I remember those fondly. But yeah, I wasn't allowed to have one either. Right. But I ended up with one, and then I think my yeah. parents found it, and I got in trouble for having it. So. Well, it took me. It took me uh, late into the nineties to actually get a uh, Ghostbuster proton gun because my parents wouldn't buy me any gun, any kind so, of gun, any kind of toy gun, yeah, any weapon, no water yeah. guns. Yeah, no, I, get that. I couldn't have it. Never had a super soaker. Nope. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I'm like it's water. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, one more thing about the kid. I said as a kid, Bobby really annoyed me. Yes. But but watching it as a grown up, I totally enjoyed his snarky attitude. My favorite part as a I I don't know if it will, if I laughed as much as a kid, but I love especially at the beginning is him egging on his dad and his dad wanting to like beat him, but the mom's like, "Oh, leave him alone, he's okay," and he'd be like, "I'm just one time, I just want to give him one time," and I was like, that made me laugh so much watching it again. Anything else we talk about, Demian Slade, Bobby? No, I think that was it. Okay. He may come back up again. We talk about scenes and stuff. Okay. Yeah. So then we got Connie Stevens as Connie. <laughs> she began her career in 1957, making her feature film debut in Young and Dangerous before releasing her debut album the following year. She had a supporting role in the musical comedy Rockabye Baby in 1958 opposite Jerry Lewis, followed by the drama film The Party Crashers, also in, also in 58 opposite Francis Farmer. She gained widespread recognition for a portrayal of Cricket Blake on the network television series Hawaiian Eye beginning in 1959. She garnered concurrent musical success with her single 16 Reasons when it became a radio hit, peaking at number three on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in 1960. Stevens continued to appear in film and television throughout the 70s and 80s, as well as performing as a musical nightclub act. She was interesting because I remember... Seeing, I remember as a kid seeing her in the movie and knowing who she was. But when I went through her filmography and stuff, I was like, I don't remember seeing anything. So it may have been like some TV appearances that maybe she was in or she had done, maybe she'd done commercials or something. That's how I recognized her. I know she was in Greece too. She has like a bit, like a, a very small role in Greece too, which is another 80s movie that played a lot on HBO as a kid. My sister was obsessed with that one. So I ended oh, yeah. up watching it a lot, but um, she plays <laughs> one of the teachers, but she's not, doesn't have like a huge role, but did you know who yeah. she was as a kid? I, 
Kind of. I mean, I think I knew her just because she was famous or she I knew yeah, she had been. An she actress, was a celebrity, you know? right? Right. For, for real reasons, not like today where you could be famous <laughs> for being on TikTok or YouTube or not hey, hey, anything hey, wrong with that. Hey, watch out. Cause <laughs> we're, you know, I'm oh, borderline yes. famous now, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. my, my bad, my bad. I'm just kidding. I'm not even close. Not there's anything wrong with that, right? Exactly. It's like there's nothing wrong with being famous. No, but yeah, I so I I definitely re- I definitely knew who she was, but I didn't have any knowledge of her movies. And I think even too, like she made a comment about how she really wasn't in any of the beach movies, but she was known as playing in the other movies she had done. She was known as playing like the bad girl. So that's kind of why they used her in this movie, though she wasn't known for technically, quote unquote, the beach party movies. She'd only done like one, but it was one that Frankie and Annette weren't even in. But one of my favorite lines is when she sees him again and she's like, oh, look, at you look so good. Oh, my. Give me a net. You know, it's like, give me a net, like a like a net to use. But in a net. It's right there. And she then she's like, not that kind of net. And. I don't know why that, that, that pun was so <laughs> yeah. funny to me as a kid, but, uh, yeah, I thought it was funny. Well, saying was it out, joke. saying it out loud is not as funny. It was funny in the movie. <laughs> right. I wanted to mis- mention the guy who played Zed, leader of the surf gang. Oh, for this only, only for this reason. So his name was Joe Holland. He has no other acting credits, but as soon as he popped up on screen yesterday, I was like, why do I want to think this is Ben Stiller playing Zoolander? Like, <laughs> He looked like a, I'm sure Ben Stiller was too young at that time to play that, to play that part. But Ben Stiller, like in his thirties, when Zoolander was big, like I could see him totally being that surfer guy. Oh yeah. I, I think Ben Stiller was at that time was probably more of a nerd. Being oh, that for young. sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, well, he, didn't, he didn't get on SNL until like 90s. Yeah. I think there's there's a screenshot I've seen where he pops up in an episode of Miami Vice in like late 80s, but he's definitely a teenager. So, right. But you know, he wrote Tropic Thunder, or that came, idea came to him because he he auditioned for Platoon. Like he was trying to be like a serious actor back then. He wasn't trying to be oh, like wow. a comedy actor. Yeah. No, so, I didn't know that was. I didn't know that was because of that. That's mm-hmm, crazy. Mm-hmm. So, and then the other person, which. Once again, doesn't have these are just interesting characters. So John Calvin played Troy, which was the womanizing beach quote unquote stud who pursues Annette. He was so outrageous and zany, but his filmography is filled with TV roles in the seventies, eighties, and nineties. He didn't have any other significant roles, but I just his character was just so crazy to me. And I, I could have swore, like once again, seeing him I was like, definitely he's been in some other stuff, but he wasn't. But he just that character was so funny. Right character actor kind of thing yeah like you know you know you've seen his face and other things but mm-hmm. and like right. you said like the crazy laugh like he does some crazy laughs like uh oh yeah he did crazy. yeah another guy did a crazy laugh so did he, he was yeah like, yeah i don't know if that was like that had to have been a requirement for a surfer guy you had to have crazy laughs i guess <laughs> but he was funny i'm talking go back to zed being the bad guy if anybody was going to be the bad guy early on in the movie i would have thought it would have been troy because Troy right. was the one trying to steal Annette away from, from Frankie or the big kahuna. So I would have thought that he would have been the bad guy, but he kind of, he kind of becomes indifferent. Like he's not good or bad by the end of the movie. Like he's really more on their side, even though right. you know, he keeps trying to steal well, he, away. Well, he started off stealing her way, 
Yeah. Then it was more then during during the the rest of the movie it was more of her playing him to try to make Frank. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so I was like, okay, well, he's. I didn't. T- I, 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 after that, I didn't take him too serious because mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I knew she wasn't serious. Yeah. So. But but once again, talking about people having fun, the cast having fun. He was just oh, yeah. eating it up. I mean, he was just going as zane. Like they had to have given him so like just go go as crazy as you want to go, just be as outrageous as you want to be, and he just went for it. In every scene right. he was in, he was just taking it to the max. Uh, right. But that 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 that's funny. So, any other cast members that I missed that you wanted to bring up? Oh, I did think of the other thing that I liked about uh, Damien Slade. Okay, when, when they're when they're knocking on Laurie Laughlin's door. Oh yes, and he's using and then his he head. used them uses it as a battering ram. That was <laughs> yeah, that was so funny. I was like, he I had couldn't some, stop laughing. Yeah. He had some great lines in that, like my eyes are. I'm going cross-eyed or something. He yeah, had a couple of good. Cross-eyed. He's got a couple of good lines in there. He was really funny. Like I'm really surprised he didn't do anything else after. I mean, you know, his part in Better Off Dead is iconic because right. it's just that one line, not mm-hmm. because necessarily because of him, but this one he really got to do a lot. And I was really surprised that he didn't do much after this. So yeah, opening narrator. So that was yeah, exactly that was kind of cool. And my other favorite part of him, which I always laugh as a kid, in the last song, when he comes up behind them doing again and again, when they're singing yeah. little, little, the little uh, ad lib thing, which oh, was yeah. funny. So. With his dad's hair. Yeah, yep, yeah. Which, can, which, 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 why were, can we talk about his hairpiece? I mean, we know, we know that's not his real hair, right? Yeah, I had to, yeah. That's why I didn't get wet. Right, oh, that is true. It, it, that's the it, real that's, reason he didn't go into the ocean. Right, <laughs> and he want to get his hairpiece wet. Yeah, and that's the first like that's like his first line is like when they show him on that fake surfboard doing the TV commercial, like yeah. don't hit the hair, don't get the hair wet. And so that was obviously a, had to have been a nod to his because I can tell a hairpiece whenever their their forehead moves, but the hair doesn't. Then I definitely right. know that was in my notes. We had to talk about his hair. So <laughs> let's, let's jump into, to scenes. There's not much trivia, but like we decided on this, we just, we just run all observations, I guess, more so than favorite scenes. I think this oh, is yeah. a movie that is more, let's talk about what we saw more than, ooh, my favorite scene was. <laughs> right. We can talk, we can talk about those too, but I'll let you go first. What do you, what are some observations that you have down on your notes for this one? Well, I, I did a little research and. It's funny the the scene where Bobby's uh, telling the uh, surfer guys about the cherry bomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the song playing in the background, and I looked this up, is the same punk song mm-hmm. that's in Star Trek for uh, Voyage Home. Yeah, I saw that pop up in the trivia, but I didn't know what song they were talking about. It's the I hate you and okay. I berate you, and then you know Spock does a little thing on the bus. Mm-hmm. Does a Vulcan pinch? Okay, and then everybody everybody claps. And he said, "What is a something? What is a some vulgar term?" He said. He said, well, mm-hmm. "That's just how they talk here, Spock." Yeah, gotcha. it was, and and the guy who was actually who got the Vulcan nerve pinch on the bus in Star Trek Four is the guy who wrote it. And okay, I, I could have sworn, I could have swore that the guy who had the the baby, yeah, the, the baby sitting in the beginning. It was a member of the gang. The, I thought that was him, but I, I don't think it was. Okay, okay. Because he's famous for playing punks in in movies. Gotcha. Gotcha. But he's also he's also he also became like a producer 
a movie producer later too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I saw that pop up, but I didn't like I said, I didn't recognize I mean I don't remember the song from Star Trek Four. That's one that's one Star Trek movie I haven't seen a whole lot. Not that I've seen all of them. What? Yeah. I wasn't as big uh, of a tricky fan as a Star Wars fan, so Okay, well I call dibs on <laughs> Star Trek Four. That's that's my favorite. Okay. And two of the guys who actually are who actually are well, I don't I don't there's three actually written uh wrote the screenplay mm-hmm. in the credits. The rest of them were like or story or something that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, but two two of them wrote Star Trek Four Voyage Home. Okay, okay. It's like I'm like okay, well that's how the the jokes. I think that's how all the jokes came about. <laughs> well, they're both Paramount Paramount picture Paramount, Paramount movies. Paramount so yeah, oh yeah. Which there's another Which Paramount tie in a little bit later. But go ahead, you might be, you might be jumping jumping to it. Well, my number one note was I did not know this was a Paramount movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> Until I saw this. Oh yeah, yeah. I was scratching my head. I'm like, why during the big kahuna final surf are they playing the Indiana Jones theme? Because they could. Because it was a Paramount <laughs> movie because they had Paramount, rights to it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that was the only reason I was like I, and it says like I don't know if I would have recognized that as a kid that that was the Indiana Jones theme that they were playing. But when it started, I was like, that's an odd choice for a beach movie. It for is. this scene, I mean, it's heroic, but it's just it's it it's a little more left out of left field than I would have expected. So, and right before that, when the bad when the bad gang members are surfing in, they're playing Flight of the Bumblebees. Bumblebees, or, yeah, oh or, yeah, or one the one oh, from Apocalypse, Apocalypse now. now. Oh yeah, that's not Flight. That is the yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. It's not Flight of the Bumblebees. It's the other one. No, it's yeah. the other one. Flight of the Valkyries, maybe. Maybe yeah, Valkyries, yeah. That sounds right, but it's it's the one where the helicopters are coming in and right, and I'm like, well, that's that's Apocalypse Now is a Paramount movie as well. <laughs> oh, there you go. So like, they can just they just studio just okay. Well, we have this. You can use that. Right, right. Once again, keeping so, that budget down, keeping that budget low. That's right. What else you got? Oh yeah, <laughs> who thinks women wear those outfits at the slumber party? <laughs> oh my goodness, those. I don't even know where to be, like. Anyway, that's that's one of the notes I took. The slumber party is pretty, pretty out there, but it's fun. Yeah. And then, of course, the the how the biker gang all of a sudden comes over, dances for they live next door. Yeah, and then leave. Yeah, they live like, next door, and then they leave. Yeah, that that whole scene is very confounding. But I, I'm but I'm assuming that that is some kind of nod to the old beach movies that I haven't seen. That's the only right. justification I can give it of why that is there. What I what I like about and why I kind of mentioned the intro of the pajama party is because one of the lines that made me laugh and I, I'm sure it was done after the fact, but when they're challenging, they're about to challenge the surfer dudes after at the party or whatever on the beach, mm-hmm. and he's like, uh, Frankie, I was like, we're gonna sell this the old fashioned way, and somebody goes, we're gonna have a pajama party. You could hear it out in the background, and I and it made me laugh. I, was <laughs> oh, like, I didn't hear that. Yeah. Oh, that was, <laughs> it was like it was a great callback. Hilarious. It was a great callback. So. Um, yeah, well, because because earlier Annette was going to show her how to get her man uh, get a man back, right, right, and and she's, she's like, "Well, I have an idea," and she's like, "Well, mom, I think it's too early in the day to wear pajamas." Yeah, yeah, they do references a couple times. There's a couple yes. of good running jokes uh, in this one, so I enjoy yeah. I enjoy running jokes. Yeah, yeah, the running jokes. One of my favorites was the running gag of uh, Frankie's surf name being done wrong. You had the big Chihuahua, the big Carbanza, the big Potato. <laughs> And the big, my favorite, 
from you know uh Mrs. Cleaver herself, the big crapola. Right. <laughs> that was interesting, and I know we're gonna get the cameos. Yeah, and, that's and that. I can't, I, well, I can't yeah. wait for that. Um but the the uh, the two uh Wally and, and Beeve mm-hmm. doing Siskel and Ebert. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I have that written down for sure. Yeah. Because they both, you know, they did their thing and they gave it a thumbs mm-hmm. They gave it a little rating and they gave it a thumbs up. Right. Like, that's that's Which, Siskel and Ebert. For Siskel and Ebert to give them two thumbs up with them parroting them, I thought right. is great. I was like, it's fantastic. That's that just that solidifies its cult status for me. Is that you parody the critic that get, that end up ends up giving you two thumbs up? Is is the sweetest revenge? And it's funny. I, I saw that that was on at the movies. And I used to watch it religiously, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I should have, I should have watched, tried to find a YouTube, see if I can watch. It. Oh yeah, yeah, they had one on YouTube or something. Yeah, they got a lot. Hear... There's there's several of them on there. I've 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 watched a few of. Them. I didn't watch for the one for this one, but yeah, I'm, I'd right. be I may have to go back and find that one too. So I'll, all right, so before we get to the cameos, I want to. I don't know if you noticed this, but there's a guy during the Jamaica ska song that is completely sunburnt on his back, like he is <laughs> beat red. Everybody else is like, you know, pale or tan, but this dude is like his back and his shoulders is like bright red. And he shows up in one scene. I was like, is that guy sunburned? And then 30 seconds later, there's another scene where he's, you see everybody walking away and you see him again and he stands out. Yeah. I just thought that was, right. I don't know why that jumped out at me, but it was just like somebody on the crew was like, okay, everybody make sure we're going to be on the sun a lot today. I'll make sure everybody puts on your sunscreen. That guy was like, nah, I can take it. And so he's the one guy that's like beat red above everybody. Are you backing up to try to see it? Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, sorry. And th- I had this on my notes. I, I did not know who Fishbone was. I, I didn't I either. I don't recall. They came up a couple having... of times in my notes about, you know, they were such a, br- a great group to get. And I was like, I don't know who they who they are. Yeah. Like if they would have got the Beach Boys, I would have I would have known who that was. Right, right. But they were, I guess they were pretty big then in the eighties. I don't know. Maybe like for the surfer group, or maybe they were just a big ska band at that point. I think so. I didn't know a lot of ska bands. I, yeah, I didn't either. I didn't know. I didn't know about ska until college. I didn't know what. Yeah, I didn't know what ska. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know what ska was until college. Like I knew. I heard that. I remember the Jamaica ska song from the movie, but I didn't know that, that ska now, was a, a type of uh, music. The guy. Okay. The guy with the saxophone and the Mohawk. Right. I've seen him other places or something. That's the only thing I'm like, okay, well, maybe I just know him from that. Probably. I can't remember what it is, but I think they, I, I want to say that I saw their name on another 80s soundtrack for something else, but I don't know what it was. I didn't research that, so. And now, these messages. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D. of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooged, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever. 
like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR. But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. All right, well, let's talk about cameos. That's why I'm here. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a little, I was a little disappointed because I've seen like some of the like re-release covers for the movie but and they put they put the they cameos put on, there. on there and i was like why would you do that but anyway so let's so right these are the ones that i wrote down of course we have oj simpson at the beginning which i was shocked when he popped up i was like oh, oh my yeah. gosh i forgot oj simpson was in this and then he's parroting his hertz commercials where he used to run in the airport and jump over luggage which of course is a great gag because he's like i saw somebody and then he falls like ah must have been somebody oh, else no, oh, no, oh no never mind that's not him <laughs> And he he got you know uh, Frankie stepped on his his hand mm-hmm. and it, I was thinking the whole time this kind of reminds me of uh, oh, what's his character's name from Naked Gun Naked Gun oh yeah uh, I can't remember what his character's name is in, in Naked Gun either but yeah exactly I was like which is a Paramount movie I'm like okay well, that's how <laughs> it, I wonder this if he had a episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus please pick up your subscription <laughs> which this movie is not on which very disappointed me. Yeah, yeah. Because I had I had that service and mm-hmm. I was wanting to watch it on there, but <laughs> I could not. But yeah, so. if if it's like any other time that I've had to rent something in about two weeks, it'll show up. There he is. <laughs> I just saw the sunburn guy. You saw the sunburn guy. <laughs> yeah, the green green shorts. Yeah, yep. I'm like, oh my goodness, he's the only one. Yeah, he's the only one. And, All right, and you mentioned you mentioned earlier uh, before we move. Uh, you mentioned earlier. They filmed this in Hawaii. Yep. So the plot of the movie is they're going to Hawaii, stop in L.A. And stop in L.A., yeah. But the, so they film L.A. in Hawaii. That's Why didn't they just say, okay, let's go to Hawaii and just say this is Hawaii? <laughs> Who knows? Who okay. knows? I'm sorry. I'm That's sorry. A it is. Good question. Yeah. yeah. All right. So then, of course, you got Gilligan, uh, Bob Denver, uh, which was yeah, great and- as the bartender. In 
his Gilligan exactly <laughs> outfit in character because he's like, "Can I tell yeah. you the story?" And nobody wants to hear it. that other running gag about nobody wants to hear a story about you know. You see this? You see this coconut? We had a guy on our island that could make a radio out of this, but he couldn't fit uh, fix a two foot hole in a boat. Yeah, can I tell you? The I've story? heard that joke. It's no. funny. I've heard that joke so many times. So many I, times. I, like, yeah. I forgot that was in there. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who said it. That's hilarious. Right. Right. Uh, and then at the very end, when the skipper comes in, Alan Hale. Oh, that was I. That might be my favorite one. That was my favorite. L- little bunny. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Frankie calls him little buddy. And he's yeah. like, don't, don't call, call me, that. me that. I hate that name. <laughs> and then he's like, come on, man. We got to go. He's like, not again. He's like, yeah, so, it's just going to be a three hour tour. <laughs> right. So you'd have to think then that Paramount must have owned the rights to Gilligan's Island to be they able to. to to make fun of it like they did. I mean, they I yeah. mean, had some, Alan Hale. Right. Wearing his skipper outfit. Skipper outfit, yeah. Hits him with hit the hat. Him, hit, him, hit him with the hat, exactly. Yeah. yeah. For those of you who never seen Gilligan's Island, that was a staple of rerun television in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Like you, it was Gilligan's Island, Beverly Hillbillies. Yep. Sanford and Son, The Jeffersons. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, Good Times, all those shows. Well, I mean, and Leave It to Beaver, go back into that era. Leave It to Beaver. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, the black and white shows. The shows that were in black and white. <laughs> the black and white shows. I, 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 I think this, I think the, probably Nick, uh, Nickelodeon, Nick at Night. Yeah. Was doing, may have been doing Gilligan's Island at that time. And wasn't that, well, Nick, it, was Nick, Nick, well, yeah, that was late 80s. Was that Paramount? Yeah, I think it, it is. I think it is now. I don't know if it was then. Well, no. Now is now is Friends and stuff. We were like no, but I'm saying I think Paramount owns Nickelodeon now. I don't know if that if it came out oh. of Paramount. So I don't know. We're dig, we're digging too deep. Let's, let's get back yeah. to this. Okay. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Sidetrack. It's all good. Yeah. So then, uh, Ed Burns, who was the valet at the club, of course, was Vince Fontaine from Greece, and of course, he was in some other. 60s movies, oh, but that's, yeah. how, that's how I recognized him. Um, and he, I did not, I didn't put, I've, until I saw Reddit, he, I didn't mm-hmm. realize he was Vince Fontaine. Yep, yep. And he was also, he sung the song, uh, Kooky, Kooky, Lend Me Your Comb. <laughs> is why Frankie said, hey, this is kind of kooky. Oh, okay, okay. Which, that, which is a parody song, or uh, not a parody song, but uh, one of those novelty songs. Okay, yeah, novelty song. And Connie Stevens sings on that song with him. <laughs> so it kind of connected there. All the connections are there. Yeah. So, then you got Don Adams, Get Smart. Oh, I another love another great another great cameo. Yeah, and he he said all his great uh, Get mm-hmm. Smart lines too. Missed it by that much. That much. Would you believe? Would you believe? Oh yeah. <laughs> My favorite line, though, which is not him from his Get Smart, was when he he's coming, thinking he's going to make the speech. There's no speech, huh? There's no way you can you could redeem yourself from this. And they bring him the girl, and she's like talking, and she's taking a breath. He's like, she's got asthma. Ah, it's late. You know, it's like that. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. Yeah. Uh, and then she comes back a couple of times with that same like yeah. quote unquote asthma joke, which I thought was really funny. And then we talked about the Leave It to Beaver family, Barbara Billingsley, Tony Dow, and Jerry Mathers as the Beaver. Mm-hmm. And then 
I'm saving the one for last. We'll talk about him. But then legendary guitarist Dick Dale and Stevie Ray Vaughan, when they perform Pipeline, Dick Dale is known as the king of the surf guitar, and the song is a frequently covered surf rock instrumental. So, right, yeah, that was good. And then he was he was in a couple of those beach movies with Frankie and and that. Oh yeah, yeah. Which I guess like, do you know Venus? Do I know Venus? No, but I know this no, one. I, you, so. I know this one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was great. And to see Stevie Ray Vaughan, that was awesome. Yeah, like, yeah. Lyndall Hobbs, the director, she Lindell said Hobbs, that, uh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of those cameos, the studio was shocked that she was able to get the cameos, but she said it really wasn't her. They just wanted to be in a movie with, with Frankie and Annette. Like they were the draws of the people wanting to be in the movie, the cameos, right. so, which I thought was great. So, all right, let's talk about the the one I haven't covered yet. Why is Pee Wee Herman in this movie? You know, <laughs> it had to have been because he was he was riding the fame of Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh yeah, but there's no reason for him to be in this movie. Absolutely, there's no reason. And if my mom knew that he was in this movie, I wouldn't have been able to watch it. <laughs> I was not allowed to watch Pee Wee's. Playhouse. I don't know why. Was it he because of the genie? <laughs> the genie? I don't. I don't know. We're getting. We're getting into a, a side conversations. Anyway, I. I. Under, I you, understand. You'll have, you'll have to tell me about that later. I don't okay. Know yeah. Okay. No, yeah. she just thought he was weird. I guess. Yeah, he and, was kind of weird. I, I don't think my parents were that thrilled about him either. They just thought he was weird, which he is. And, and what was funny was I watching it again today. I was watching a living room and my daughter Hannah came out while during that song, him doing the bird surfing bird. And she was like, why is he saying he's a bird? I said, he's not saying he's a bird. He's singing the bird is the word. And so she came and looked and I had to explain to her who Pee Wee Herman was and all that stuff. And she was completely over her head. I was like, trust me. I I didn't totally get it as a kid. either. I've never been a big Pee Wee Herman fan anyway. So I say, I don't think that was a big draw for me in the movie. And then why he all of a sudden, Become he glows at the end and then flies away on a surfboard. Yeah, a surfboard to look like his bicycle from the movie. Maybe so. Because it was red and had the little... Uh, it was, it had the oh, handlebars. yeah, it had the handlebars. That's right. I didn't even put that mm-hmm. together. Man. And I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Pee-wee's Big Adventure was a Paramount movie. <laughs> I, I, think you're, I think you're right. I knew, I know it's Tim, well, Tim Burton did it, of course. Right, right. And yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a Paramount movie. Because when, when, do you remember when Big, what was the sequel? Big, Big Top Pee Wee? Big Top Pee Wee, I think, was 88 or 89. It was later. So, okay. Because Pee Wee's Big Adventure was 85. So, yeah. Right. This this was, this was between the two, between the original and the sequel. So. Okay. So well, yeah, it had to, it, he was probably only in here because Pee Wee's Playhouse was so big. Right, right. That was Gotta be. C- CBS. Yeah, which, which is was now, owned by which, which, which is, is now, now owned, owned by, by, Param- by Paramount. <laughs> There's a running wow. theme here that we did not see coming. I, I didn't know either. All right, well let, let's let's start to wrap this up. But I only have okay. one piece yeah. of trivia, uh, which I thought okay. was interesting. Throughout the movie, Frankie Avalon's character is only referred to as the Big Kahuna. And never once is called by his first name. He is listed as quote unquote Annette's husband in the end credits. The name Frankie could not be used anywhere in the film because Avalon played Frankie in the sixties beach movies and legal issues were involved since this film 
was made by a different studio with different producers. However, the Big Kahuna was actually a character from Gid from Gidget rather than from the Beach Party series. The same thing is said hmm. for Annette Funicello's character because her character's name in the Beach Party films was named Dolores or Dee Dee for short. So, wow. so that's why he was the Big Kahuna and not Frankie. Frankie. Yeah, because no one ever calls him by his first yeah, name. Yeah, exactly. It's either Big Kahuna or my big, dad, you know, which it might big be baked potato, or yeah, yeah, <laughs> big or, or dad, <laughs> which may be why Bobby had to narrate because he had to give that exposition and he could say my dad instead of Frankie. You know what I'm saying? Right. So pretty smart. Uh, so in her memoirs, Funicello wrote that she and Avalon were preparing a sequel where their characters would go on a safari in Africa, but that her illness meant she had to pull out. Uh, she did agree to go on a back to the beach tour with Avalon on stage shortly after the the movie came out. So, so yeah, so that, that's not much trivia on this one. Those are only two, two things I really had. So, um, but let's talk about box office. So back to the beach debuted on August 7th, 1987. It came in eighth at the box office. It was buried by Timothy Dalton's debut as James Bond in the living daylights, which remained mm-hmm. in the top spot for its second week. It was also beat out by two other new releases that weekend, Stakeout with Richard Dreyfuss and Emilio Estevez, which took the number two spot, and Masters of the Universe, which debuted in third. <laughs> wow. So Masters of the Universe beat, 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 beat Back to the Beach. Yeah. But Back to the Beach beat Who's That Girl with Madonna, which came in like 13th or something like that. So. Uh. But anyway, uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 71% on the tomato meter with a 63% audience score. IMDb, the viewers gave it a 5.8 and it's a 62 on Metacritic. Uh, I'm definitely more Rotten Tomatoes on this one. Right. 70 is a good range for me. It's, it's fun. It's nostalgic. If you just, and it's short, it's like an hour and 35 minutes. I mean, it's not long at all. So it's a quick watch. Which- that's another thing I had in my notes. I thought this movie was a whole lot longer. <laughs> and I thought there was other things like, like the whole, the, like I mentioned the, the biker gang being looked right. different right. to me. Like I thought there was a, a woman. I think I'm going to get confused with another. You had, yeah, you're, you're getting, you're getting similar. two movies mixed together, mixed up. It's possible. I had to. Yeah. It's possible. But like, like I thought there's so many, like I thought there's so many scenes. I thought they talked more about the oh how did it what what is the name of the wave the the uh, cow, oh hold on I got cow, it written down the humunga Kawabunga from down under <laughs> like I thought they said that like fifty times a lot more yeah. yeah yeah and I'm like they didn't, they mentioned it a couple of times but I thought it was a whole lot more mm-hmm. like I thought they would tell the story more times than they do the, yeah yeah. In the whole beginning of where he's telling, narrating the story, I thought watching it now looked like maybe there's a longer version that I not watched <laughs> that I saw. I don't know. I, I don't know. Once again, oh, yeah, if you I haven't just, seen it, you need to see it. I don't think we, I mean, I don't think it's really anything you're really spoiling this movie, but right. it's definitely worth, worth, worth watching for sure. Uh, but oh, yeah, yeah, I think definitely. it's at 70s is good because it's, it's not a, it's not a great movie. It's not, you know, it's good. It's a good rewatch. It's a good rewatchable movie, but it's, it, it does oh, have yeah. its flaws. It's dated. It has its yeah. dated moments. There's a few jokes if, that are like, Ooh, they couldn't get away with that now. Uh, oh yeah. No, but 
Well, the whole the the uh, the, the, the pajama party scene. My wife came in during that. She was like, <laughs> "Yeah, they couldn't get away with that today." Right, right. I'm like, no. Well, right. thank you so much, Chad, for being a part of this one. I appreciate you recommending this one. You you kickstarted this well, uh, doing the bonus episodes <laughs> to do Back to the Beach. So I appreciate it. Well, it's it's honestly it was it was your commercial. It's right. a commercial for for this podcast. You know, whether you go Back to the Future, which I already did that one. Right. And he said Back to the Beach. I'm like, well, I love that movie as a kid. <laughs> so now we're Back to School is next. So I Yeah. Got, oh, yeah. Kidding. And the crazy thing was I did that commercial. <laughs> we hadn't covered any of those movies yet. <laughs> I was like, right. why, why have I done this? But yeah. Well, foreshadowing. There you, there go. you go. Still to come. Still <laughs> so, to come. Yeah. But anyway, well, thanks so much. Uh, so everybody, be sure to follow, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on whichever podcast platform you're listening to this on. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Like I said, the Forgotten 80s Flick uh, series is still going on TikTok and Instagram. Uh, you can become a supporter of the podcast. You're, I forgot to do that in the show notes. The Amazon wish list, the playlist on Apple Music. I'm covering a lot of stuff. Look for more special Forgotten 80s Flicks coming up. Send us a message. Let us know which one you want us to cover next. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I appreciate uh, Chad being on this one. I'm Tim Williams for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Good night, good people. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.